Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our ongoing exploration of who gardeners are, where gardeners are, what they're growing in this world, and how that grows all of us, we use this midwinter moment for a midwinter retreat. We head south to the Keenan Research Center at the Atlanta History Center and their remarkable Cherokee Garden Library, named for the historic Cherokee Rose, which grows across the South. Stacy Catron has been the library's director since 2000, and Jenny Oldfield is the collection's senior technical librarian and supervisory archivist. The two join us today to share so much more about the fertile ground of their work, enriching all of our garden lives. Stacy and Jenny, having visited the library and received a beautiful and warm welcome from the two of you. I am very pleased to welcome you to Cultivating Place. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited to be here with you, Jennifer. As you know, I'm a big fan and I'm excited to be part of this program. So I would love to now ask each of you to introduce yourselves to the listeners the way you like to be introduced. And maybe in that introduction, include just a brief sort of personal philosophy on the role that plants or gardens play in your life. So I'm going to start with you, Stacy, and um, maybe give us the title of your role there at the library and something about the role of, of plants in your life, how you see yourself in relationship to them. So I'm the director of the Cherokee Garden Library, Keenan Research Center, at the Atlanta History Center here in Atlanta, Georgia, sort of a broad brush way I look at it is that garden libraries or botanical libraries and gardens of all kinds truly hold the diverse and meaningful stories of the people and plants that have shaped the world, are shaping the world, and will shape the world. And that's why I believe in horticultural literature and what we do here at the Cherokee Garden Library. Mm, beautiful. Jenny. Yes. Um, my name is Jenny Oldfield, and I am the senior technical librarian and supervisory archivist for the Cherokee Garden Library at the Keenan Research Center here at the Atlanta History Center. And for me, plants are vital for me, both professionally and personally. And they're part of my journey through life. Um, professionally, um, my growth and knowledge of horticulture has helped me in all the aspects of my work. And personally, uh, gardening and the botanical world just helps me stay grounded and connected and helps me as a person grow. Nice. And I love, Stacy, how you um, couched part of what you said in, in my, my very next question to you both, which is this idea that gardens and plants, as well as people, grow us as individuals. And the way you couch that, you reminded us that they also grow us as civilizations and communities. But 
Let's go to both of you. I'd love to have you take us back a little bit. Who were the people and places and plants that grew you into the woman who would see this level of relationship and knowledge as culturally important literacy, Stacy. Where were you born and raised and, and who were these people, places, and plants? So I was born in a little town in rural East Tennessee called Etowah, population 2,500. <laughs> and I think early on, I was always surrounded by a mother and a grandmother who I called Mimi, who liked to garden. My mother and father had a large vegetable garden on our property, and also um, they liked to be out in nature and hike, and so I was just always surrounded by nature. My mother taught literature, so the weekly outing to the local public library was a big part of my life as well. So it seems kind of natural that I would end up being at a garden library <laughs> because I can't really remember a time in my life where gardens and the natural world and books weren't the most important things. Jenny, what about you? Yes, I grew up outside of Montreal in Canada, and my parents introduced me to gardening. Even though we moved often, we always had some sort of garden. And we camped a lot, spent a lot of time in the outdoors. Um, and when I left home, uh, before I was able to have a garden of my own, I I just fell in love with houseplants and kept a ridiculous number of them and actually still do. And I just can't resist the challenge of nursing a plant back to health or trying to grow something from a cutting. Uh, and now I'm lucky to have my own garden that I try to nurture. And I, too, also grew up loving the public library and reading and still do. So for me, my work at the Cherokee Garden Library is the meeting of those two favorite things, my two happy places, books yeah. and gardening. So it's a dream come true. I'm going to stick with you, Jenny, and and have you move us from this this sort of marriage of two happy places into some of the technical aspects of that. You grow up, you go off to high school, you go off to college. How do you become a technical librarian? And, and what was that actual educational path and then career path that landed you at the Cherokee Garden Library? Well, I got a job in an academic library, and that was my first exposure to the world of library science. And I realized quite quickly that I would probably, it would be best for me to keep going and obtain my master's in library science. And I knew as soon as I started working in a library that this was perfect for me. And I developed an interest in cataloging, both through my coursework in library school and through an internship I did at the Atlanta Botanical Garden Library. Mm. And at one point in my coursework, I decided I would create a thesaurus of headings, subject headings for roses, and I had no idea what, what I was getting myself into. But it was a great start for learning more about how controlled access subject headings work in cataloging. 
And then I was fortunate to do some work for Cherokee Garden Library um, early in my career and also worked as the librarian for the Keenan Research Center and became um, devoted to the Cherokee Garden Library in the mid-2000s as a cataloger initially. And since then, I've grown in my duties to include um, processing and reference duties and have developed a keen interest in descriptive cataloging, which includes the use not only of controlled vocabularies like the Library of Congress subject heading list, but also alternate thesauri um, as part of a broader reparative work that Keenan is undergoing in our efforts, in our DEI efforts. All right. Where did you go to undergraduate school? And how, like, how does a person get exposed to the fact that library science is its own academic path? And what is a master's in library science comprised of? Well, I attended Georgia State University. And once I started working in a library, I became aware of what a master's in library science can um, do for a career path in libraries. Okay. And I attended library school at Clark Atlanta University and started, of course, with the core classes. So that would have covered reference collections, um, cataloging, other just building blocks of what a librarian might do. And then from there, I became interested in special collections. So just to kind of enhance my degree in those areas and get a little bit more, uh, you know, specified about um, working with a collection that might not be typical in a public library or even an academic library. So it it was fortunate that I took that path because it's helped me in my work today. I would bet. Because I, I think that listeners might be just intrigued because I don't think it's a an obvious academic pathway for, for even, you know, general studies people to, to run up against um, library science as an option. And I find it fascinating. And about what year would you have graduated from your master's program, Jenny? Mid-90s. I think it was 94. Okay. And my point in asking is because we've seen such a revolution in those last 25, 30 years in how we not only look for information, but store information and then access it. So I find, you know, this kind of a caricature of a of a librarian with her hair back and her glasses on and it's a her mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. just so turned over in these last 30 years because library science is at the heart of data storage and understanding and access and control and it's pretty powerful stuff in in the horticultural world but in the wider world as well agreed yeah i think you know, the essence is there, you know, I don't necessarily have to know it all, but I have to be able to find it. So that part is still the same, but how we're finding it is quite different. When I started, of course, we were using card catalogs. 
So now we couldn't have even imagined um, all the ways to access and find information. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a revolution. So, um, and it's ongoing as we know. All right, Stacy, I'm going to move back over to you with a, with a similar question. Take us on your educational path, because I think a lot of people will really be interested um, in, in these different pathways that people get to where they, they want to be, you know, where, where did you go to school and how did you find your way toward library science and ultimately become the director of a, of a really preeminent horticultural library in our world today? Well, my path was um, less traditional. I went to Agnes Scott College in Decatur, Georgia for my undergrad, and I majored in history and Latin, Mm -hmm. graduated from there in 1993. And then I was out of school for a few years working in various positions, all kinds of different jobs, including uh, some landscape installation work (laughs) and gardening. And then um, in the mid-90s, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. So I went and got a teacher certification from the Association Montessori International because I believed a lot for the goodness of Montessori theory. And I did that for a while. And then in the late 90s, I decided I wanted to do something else, and I returned to school and got a Master's of Heritage Preservation from Georgia State University. So my background is really more um, a history, historic preservation background. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Since 2000, Stacy Katrin has been the library director at the Cherokee Garden Library at the Atlanta History Center's Keenan Research Center. Jenny Oldfield is the collection's senior technical librarian and supervisory archivist. The two join us today to share so much more about the fertile ground of their work, which enriches all of our garden lives. We'll be right back for more about the history and importance of this horticultural library after a quick break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation, funding initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Hey, it's Jennifer. We definitely seem to be in a seedy zeitgeist in our world, one of the best zeitgeists I can think of. As you listen to this week's episode, I have taken part in three fabulous community seed swaps in the past few weeks, one in Chicago, one in Nevada City, California, and one in Chico, California. And I've been the keynote speaker for and immersed in two days of talks from native seed keepers and growers for the National Native Seed Conference, which had over 780 registrants this year. I will be at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show in Seattle, Washington, giving two talks, one on cultivating place and a garden culture of care, and the other on what we sow and the power of seed in our world, as well as moderating two panels, 
one on what's next for the houseplant craze, and the other on the future of gardening. The Northwest Flower and Garden Show will take place February 15th through the 18th. Look online for links to my specific talk and panel times. I would love to see any of you there. In all of this energy and activity, I read and hear and see this. We as gardeners and growers are energized for the challenges ahead. We're showing up and ready to be growing parts of solutions to so many of the issues hobbling our world right now, from community cohesion to politics to what to grow for dinner. Gardeners are everywhere and we contribute in endless ways. As I often say, in the talks I give about what we sow and cultivating place, a garden culture of care, we are the seeds of the people who will grow the world better. Keep growing. It's midwinter now, but we know spring is out there waiting for us too. We're back now to our conversation with Stacy Catron and Jenny Oldfield of the Cherokee Garden Library in Atlanta, Georgia. As we come back, Stacy shares much more about her winding route to becoming the Cherokee Garden Library's first director in 2000. I was taking a class at Georgia State University from Jim Cothran, who was a well-known garden historian and landscape architect in the Southeast. And he taught a class called Historic American Gardens. And I just fell in love with the class and the topic. And I started coming over to the Cherokee Garden Library as a graduate student and doing research for my projects and actually wrote my thesis out of the garden library. And so um, near the end of my program, they invited me to apply to be um, a fellow here, an intern position. And I got accepted and I was an intern here in 2000. And then later um, in that summer, I was invited to apply for a newly created position, the Cherokee Garden Library Director. And so in essence, um, I got here in my late 20s and I sort of grew up as I grew the collection. So we're very um, attached, (laughs) over-attached, some people would say, and have quite a very direct relationship. And so now I see myself as the leader of this collection in collaboration with Jenny and many other people in the community. And it's a special place that draws really incredible scholars and everyday dig-in-the-dirt gardeners. And it just seems to have its own life force. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. Having been there twice, it's it's one of my like daydreams, Stacy and Jenny, that I get to like come and just hang out in that library with those windows and that light and like just study one thing for a while. So I'm gonna stick with you, Stacy, and and I want to have you introduce people to the idea of the collection, of its history. Where where was it? originally aggregated and how did it come to be part of the Atlanta History Center and how did it come to be 
held under the um, the other name of the Keenan Research Center. Um, and then we'll move into the sort of objectives of the collection as you have developed them. Let's start with the history of the collection itself. So it has a really great backstory. <laughs> In 1973, two Atlanta women, Ann Carr and Louise Allen, were in Nashville on a trip, and they had gone to Cheekwood, um, a state which is now a public botanical garden. And when they were visiting there, they saw that Cheekwood had a small garden library. And they came back to Atlanta, and they were quite apparently insistent that this was unacceptable, that Atlanta did not have a garden library, and that Nashville did. So Ann Carr reached out to her garden club, which was Cherokee Garden Club. Both the club and the library are named for the Cherokee Rose, which is the state floral emblem of Georgia. There's often a confusion over this, as you might imagine. Mm. And so she got her club, gathered them around her. And in spring of 1975, they started a very small garden library in a little closet on the basement floor of McElreath Hall at the Atlanta History Center, which was called the Atlanta Historical Society at that time. And they had about 100 books. And the story goes that they used to put them on the shelves horizontally so it looked like they had more instead of vertically. Yeah. And then over time, they brought in other garden clubs, horticultural societies, landscape architects, botanists, anybody in the community that was interested and the stories of the natural world. And then over many years, the collection has just built and built and has more and more threads throughout the city, mm -hmm. the state, the Southeast, and now the nation. And it's just quite remarkable. Um, I came here in 2000 and worked with an advisory board and still do and along with other colleagues to just build the vision of this collection. Mm -hmm. And we started out in, when I came in 2000, there were about 8,000 items total. And today we're just under 35,000. Wow. And what's really special is that it really houses four centuries of knowledge. And that's quite remarkable. The library was its own separate nonprofit until December of 2004. And then we decided, since our home was the Atlanta History Center, that for the protection of the library in the long term, it would be wise if we actually became part and parcel of the Keenan Research Center. And so we did. And I don't know if listeners or you remember, but there was a time period where some fairly famous libraries, botanical libraries in the U.S. were having to sell off resources to mm. survive. Yeah. And so I had been reading about that for a few years when I first became here, came here in this position. And so it was on my mind, weighing on my heart and made me quite worried. And so I thought we need to be under a bigger organization and then we need to start working on an, various endowments so that we can make sure these resources will be here for the public for hundreds of years to come. Yeah. Well done you. And you, you describe a vision. And you describe these different threads, you know, expanding further and further out. Describe maybe in its simplest version, what is the, the mission or the vision of the collection as it stands today? 
So this collection obviously functions within the broader institution. So the broad mission of the Atlanta History Center is to connect people, culture, and history to cultivate understanding of our shared history. And I share the broader mission because I think the Garden Library fits mm. in that so perfectly yeah, yeah. because that's what we're trying to do. And in a direct way, our main points, our main go-to mission for the library itself is really to collect, to collect, to catalog, to preserve, and to serve, and to present. And those are sort of the five pieces that come together so that we can be a truly, hopefully, inspirational educational center or hub for the public. Yeah. And you said something, um, you said, we started with 8,000 items and we are now closing in on 35,000. You use the word item rather than book because your collection includes a lot of different materials. And I, I, I could start the list because I have had the, the great privilege of having you tour me through the library and its mission. But I'd love to have you describe to people what kinds of items are included in this collection of, of literature, you know, of all kinds. Well, it's really quite fascinating. And I think one reason that Jenny and I continually are obsessed with the collection <laughs> and very passionate about it, because it never is boring. Right. Because, of course, we have rare books that go back to the 16th century, but we also have contemporary books and we have an acquisitions committee that's made up of a group of community collaborators. And we're always trying to figure out, you know, oh, Jennifer Jewell, her new book is coming out and we need to get that for the library. Or, oh my goodness, I'm following Plant Queen on my Instagram and he's got, it. they've got a new book coming out and I want Plant Queen's new book in the library. So the whole range, right? Yeah. So there's all the books. And then we have a lot of periodicals of all kinds and some quite rare ones that go back to the 19th century journals, mm. agricultural journals, all the way to contemporary um, gardening and landscape architecture publications that many people would be familiar with. Mm -hmm. And then we also have quite an extensive postcard collection yeah. that documents um, landscapes in public and residential spaces and cemeteries all over the Southeast. Okay, wait, I want you to unpack that a little bit because I, that's going to like slide by and people are like, oh, postcards. What does that mean? And what are you seeing in these postcards? Like, how does that document what you are seeing it document? Oh my gosh, I really should kick this over to Jenny because I think she's okay. even more obsessed than I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Jenny, jump sure. in. Sure. Uh, the postcard collection is just a treasure uh, yeah. full of all different kinds of imagery, um, both real postcards and traditional, you know, drawings of scenes, landscape scenes, rural scenes, um, residential streets, city views, plants themselves, 
um, people with plants, um, people in their gardens, and, you know, every form of what you can imagine, the horticultural world through the ages and all the different ways that could be expressed in imagery. So, you know, some of them are color, some of them are black and white, some are sepia tone. Um, you know, some are quite packed with, um, you know, plants or um, gardens and some are kind of sparse, but that tells a story too. Right, right. So they're all, they all offer something, a little piece of the, of the broader story. Right. When I was there, I was, I was amazed that we're like, there were tiles, there were magazines, there were these posters, there were, um, there of course were, were books and, um, and journals and publications. So we also have a fairly extensive um, botanical print collection and there's some incredible items in there as well. Just visual, it's visual candy, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> just take it all in. It's just incredible. We also have objects. We have garden furniture. We have garden edging tiles that people use to edge their gardens. We have garden tools. Um, we also have um, very extensive landscape architects architectural drawing collections of prominent practitioners from Georgia. Um, we have records of important organizations in our city. I sort of look at it this way when I think about the collection. I'm like, okay, we're all marching beneath the banner of the natural world, mm -hmm. right? And so that's sort of how I view the collection. So we have for example, the records of Park Pride, which is a park advocacy organization here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, we have the records of many, many plant societies, such as the American Daffodil Society, the American Dahlia Society. Um, we have all, I mean, just pretty much you can think of it. We have it. We have records of hundreds of garden clubs throughout um, Georgia. And so the records are just quite fascinating probably one of my favorite collections are the seed and nursery catalogs yeah yeah and I think because I am also a plants person a plants woman I love gardening myself and I love studying plants and I'm particularly interested in heirloom plants and or historic plants depending on who you are and what you prefer to say um, so I really like going back through those old catalogs um, the early ones from the 1820s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and even also later as we head into the early part of the 20th century to see what plants are popular in Georgia particularly and why. And I'm very fascinated by those. And they're beautiful. The imagery on the covers are beautiful. And sometimes the imagery is also very telling. Mm -hmm. I mean, occasionally you'll get an image on a sea catalog cover and you find yourself um, almost jarred because you see the Jim Crow South through it. Mm -hmm. So it's a the collection can surprise you and be powerful in ways you don't expect. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the importance of your knowledgeable um, and sensitive eyes, your being plural, your Jenny, the whole staff, and the garden that it sits in outside the building, that it adds this depth. And if you know, not even know what you're looking for, but you know that there is a lot of information in everything we see beyond just the words that are on a page. Um, 
from the images in those postcards to uh, the incredible richness in seed catalogs over the years or, or plant catalogs. And I actually talk quite a bit about your collection in my book, What We Sow, uh, in terms of the the historical timeline we can follow and the cultural kind of conversations of the day that we can see through not only the like what's being sold in these in these seed catalogs in terms of seeds but in the language they use for uh, what they're advertising in terms of tools and fertilizers and just and in your interpretation of the collection I think gives us that a lot of that historic context as well as a different set of eyes and understanding with which to look at any of these objects, um, which I think becomes really important. So, so now let's do maybe move, unless you would like to add anything, Stacy, about this idea of collecting knowledge in this specific place, at, you know, at the Atlanta History Center in Atlanta, Georgia, in Georgia, and in the South as a lens on the greater horticultural world to which it, of course, um, connects ultimately. Well, I would maybe like to share one more aspect of how this work evolves is all of the time we're wanting to invite people to come for special in-depth tours of the library or to come in for a one-on-one research appointment. And part of the reason that is so valuable for the work, it's not only providing that opportunity for the researcher, but quite honestly, it's vital to us as the curators of the collection, because it's how people respond and what they're looking for and what they're seeking and making sure we can connect those materials to the person. And if we don't have them, if we we can build it and we can grow it. And so it's very interesting. Recently, um, Cola B. Talkin was here visiting with me again, and you've had her on your program. Um, she has her own podcast. And so we were looking at some seed catalogs and some other materials and her lens and her dialogue and what she was sharing with me, what she saw in something we were looking at really opened my eyes further in a way I hadn't thought about that object before and this happens all the time when researchers come in um or in this case Cole is a you know community collaborator collaborator with us a partner with us but so these are ways and when you were visiting it's the same thing everybody brings their own experiences their own biases their own strengths their own weaknesses all of that into the space And I feel like a big part of our job is to listen. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. The Cherokee Garden Library is housed within the Keenan Research Center at the Atlanta History Center. The mission of the History Center is to connect people, culture, and history, and to cultivate an understanding of our shared history. The Cherokee Garden Library serves the mission of the Atlanta History Center through the lens of gardens, gardening, and gardeners. We'll be right back for more with Stacy Catron, Library Director, and Jenny Oldfield, the library's senior technical librarian. Stay with us.
Hey, it's Jennifer again. I love this conversation for so many reasons, but one of those reasons is who doesn't love a good book? And who doesn't love a great garden book, especially in winter? I'm currently reading The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's tough, but it's also very important. It is landing in a formative way inside me, offering visions for our future. The hardest of these visions being those I believe are gardens and gardening, done well, done better, can help to forestall, can help to change the probability of the worst of these visions coming true. In easier but still substantive fiction reading, I have The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, which I alternate with David White's essay collection, Consolations. I, for one, need choices in my different reading hours, some challenging, some soothing, some entertaining, some catalyzing, but hopefully all of them growing, me and you, in some way. What are you reading? Any good recommendations for me? Especially good growing recommendations? I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com. We're back now to our conversation with Stacy Catron and Jenny Oldfield of the Cherokee Garden Library at the Atlanta History Center in Atlanta, Georgia. As we come back, Jenny, the collection's senior archivist, shares more about the fine art of curating and cataloging in order to make the full library collection more accessible and inspiring through broad, curious thinking, good search headings, and creative alternate headings. Yes, um, that is an important aspect of the cataloging and processing um, work is increasing access and equity and access. And my role is more on the, the next section of the work in that when the materials are here and they've been through that decision process and to what we're keeping, then I start going through things. If it's books, it's pretty straightforward. I do offer input to Stacy uh, for her acquisitions work, um, trying to help fill gaps in, in where I see them. But in cataloging them, I'm looking at the materials, thinking about how are people going to find these books? Are they going to find these books? Are they going to find them easily? Are they cataloged thoroughly and properly and appropriately? But that's from the perspective of, of where I am. So I kind of have to think like out of the box, you know, thankfully I do see how patrons access materials by working on the reference desk. So I'm able to kind of think about the roundabout ways that people come to their um, mm -hmm. materials. And as far as processing, meaning working on the, the manuscript collections and the visual arts collections, including things like postcards and photographs and landscape drawings and records from various garden clubs and societies. I have to, or I try to think about always 
the angle of how are patrons going to use the material? How are they going to want to access the material, both directly and indirectly? Mm -hmm. And often it's the indirect ways that are so powerful in ways that we hadn't thought about. So for instance, just personally, when I look at through my photographs, I'm always looking behind the people to see what was going on in the garden, what's growing or where were we and what was in bloom and that kind of thing. But I see that patrons come in wanting to know more. Sometimes let's say they're wanting to know more about how land was used or environmental issues or, um, you know, social issues. Um, They're looking behind the direct use. They're looking at the materials in a different way, just as what Stacy was saying. So Mm -hmm. I try to think about that as I'm working on making the items available to the public. And so like, can you give us a specific example? Because I, I am, I'm, I think I'm pretty clear on it, but you know, I'm, I'm imagining, right. You get, um, you get a postcard, let's just say, cause we've already referenced this cool collection and say you are Abra Lee, who is a, a noted scholar there in Atlanta studying horticultural history, but specifically trying to expand the awareness and visibility of Black horticulture uh, that has gone on forever and, and how it's represented. So instead of being a postcard about, you know, whatever, 1923 in Atlanta on a sunny day, you're you're looking at this postcard and you're saying, black man, black woman dressed up with, you know, blooming azaleas in their front garden and, I don't know, pots on the way. <laughs> like, right. I, like, how do you add mm-hmm. alternate so that if you're a 14-year-old high school boy doing a project in school, you might actually find this if what you're studying is the history of horticulture in your family? Right. Well, first of all, I would say that I'm I'm lucky enough to have a little extra time to dig mm. deeper. If I was in a hurry and just wanted to crank the stuff out, then you know, I might not do this. But what I have done is try to take clues from the material and see if I can dig deeper. For instance, if there's a first name um, noted on the postcard, I could dig deeper and see if I can piece together the family name. And Mm. sometimes, believe it or not, I have been able to find the family. So fun. Yeah. It's, you know, feel a little Nancy Drew, but um, it is great fun. And it feels very satisfying because my hopes is that someone will find this postcard. They'll find it online and, and maybe that will be a discovery for them, a new discovery. Um, And then also trying to identify the plant material in the image and going on a deep dive that way and think about what are the people doing in relation to the landscape that they're in? Are they celebrating? Are they picnicking? You know, what exactly are they doing? And just with that little bit of extra time to dig deeper, I've been able to find more information and add that to the description. And Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that that will benefit um, patrons or users in the long run. Yeah. And, And we know it already is. We know it already is. 
Um, and I say that just from literally being there with Cola B talking of the Black in the Garden podcast and with Abra Lee and the research she's doing and for myself. So and the research I did for for seed catalogs and the seed world, you know, through the 19th century. Let's go back to you, Stacy, because I think um, I would love to have it filled in for people. Um, and clearly this was happening before we got to Jenny's work. Uh, like you mentioned an acquisitions committee with 35,000 objects, like you are only so physically capable or you have only so much physical capacity, let's say that. How do you decide what to what to add or what to look for, what to, in worst case scenario, what you have to let go of in order to keep your collection on track uh, in this world? So we're really fortunate here that we work collaboratively um, with an all-volunteer acquisitions committee. Mm. I have two amazing co-chairs of that committee, Dr. D.L. Henderson and Sid Dolder currently. And so we meet um, as a whole committee, about 10 of us, uh, virtually throughout the year to review book lists and, and talk about things we want to add to the collection. And that's very useful. And Jenny has is part and parcel of giving ideas for that. And we even ask staff that aren't, you know, directly connected to the garden library. And of course, we always get input from our great uh, Gozueta garden staff here as well, because the garden library and the gardens are very symbiotic, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so we also sometimes develop special subcommittees, for lack of a better way to say it, of that committee when there's a project that we that is meaty, that's hearty, that really takes a lot of extra time and work. And one that I know Jenny and I want to share is a recent project we've been working on for the last two and a half years and has resulted in an online digital collection and mm. the physical collections here. And it's called Gardens and Cultural Landscapes of Black America, Visual Arts Materials. And Dr. D.L. Henderson has led this effort along with Sid Dolder and Sarah Van Beck. And we've also had a lot of community input and collaborators, friends that love the library, like Abra Lee, who you mentioned earlier, and Cola Talkin and others in the community weigh in on the work we're doing. So sort of like listening sessions about, are we going in the right direction? Are these descriptions meaningful? But in the day-to-day -day work, it's more that inner circle. And it's quite remarkable because everybody brings their own talents. Um, Dr. Henderson is a black genealogist and cemetery historian, and she has great skill and it's very knowledgeable and leads that process very beautifully. Sid Dolder is a retired historic preservationist and an incredible plants woman. So she's helped Jenny and I with a lot of the plant ID specifically. Mm -hmm. Sarah Van Beck is um, a plants woman as well and also an archaeologist. So everybody sort of brings their own talents and energy to creating and collaborating. In this case, these are all images we've looked at um, through online sources for purchase. And we have a fund, an acquisitions fund named for a dear friend, um, Carter Hayward Morris. And we draw funds um, out of that to make this work happen. And Jenny's been integral in this as well um, on the processing end of it. And it's been very meaningful 
because one thing we haven't addressed in this conversation yet is what do you do when you come to an institution that is historically white-centered? And how do you make any institution or collection or garden or library meaningful to all the communities it serves? And Jenny will speak more about this as well, but that is very important is to make this relevant for as many people as possible. And you touched on that earlier. And this one particular more recent project is one of many efforts in that direction. And we hope people will go online and look at the work that's available to date and know that there's more coming. Yeah. And just from the language that we use to search for something can be inclusionary or exclusionary to whoever might be searching. And that awareness, I think, opens up so much for for accessibility. Are there other projects like that one that you would like to share with listeners or, or out there um, in in some phase of their of their progression, uh, you know, maybe to do with the Native American knowledge of your region, large or small, um, anything else you would like to share on that kind of work? Well, I'll share a few things and I know I can't share them all, but one piece is as we were building this collection I just referenced, um, community collaborators have come in. So currently, Colaby um, has a, a new series of podcasts coming out through Black in the Garden in partnership with us about Black botanical history, which she already does. But it's specifically related to this collection mm. I just spoke of. So that's amplifying that. I mean, she's incredible, as you know. And so that's amplifying that work and bringing it out to a wider audience. Particularly in the book collections, we have been very mindful to think about what books aren't in the collection and need to be in the collection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that really speaks to Indigenous peoples. And so any new book of value that is telling stories that haven't been written down, um, one challenge that we face is many stories, and depending on different cultural um, trends and and backgrounds, are not written stories. And so that's a piece I think about a lot. And we have a huge oral history program here um, in the Keenan, and we have not really started interfacing with it a lot yet for gardeners, but that's a hope, but that's an aspiration. So there's just a lot of different um, threads, back to that term, going on. But I'm heartened by the fact that so many people love the land and want to share stories and want to uh, collaborate. Yeah. yeah. Jenny, let's let's go back to you and, and have you add anything you would like to about this reparation and DEI work that you are you are particularly addressing the collection with an eye toward um because i do think it's uh it's one of the great germinations that is happening in our horticultural world and to see people meeting this moment with such enthusiasm and success is just it's a victory in our world absolutely i 
enjoyed working on a project a few years ago with the American Public Gardens Association mm. in trying to address problematic common plant names and researching flagging names and researching them and offering up alternatives to be shared amongst um, public garden institutions. And that kind of gave me a glimpse into uh, DEI and reparative work. And since then, it's only grown. Um, and my coworkers and I share the passion uh, for this work, and we're committed to it, um, not only in training and gaining knowledge ourselves in ways that we might help with the um, broader work in this field, but also problems in our own catalogs that might be a barrier or might be harmful to patrons or users of our databases. And we are working on step-by-step -step ways to mitigate harmful or insensitive language, um, mm -hmm. both with warnings, advisory notes, um, acknowledging our bias mm -hmm. as an archivist and a librarian, and also looking for ways to grow the, the, the ways that people access collections and trying to think about how someone with a completely different background to me might come about looking for these particular items. So an example of this is traditionally we would use Library of Congress's subject headings, which are controlled language, controlled vocabulary that help to gather like resources, like topics together as an mm -hmm. access point. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking to outside communities to help us use language that is more in keeping with perhaps a community that's misrepresented or underrepresented in the Library mm -hmm. of Congress subject headings. And the Library of Congress subject headings include many terms that are outdated and they've also, um, there's also many omissions of terms that would benefit um, various groups of people who feel underrepresented in that um, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So my work has been to examine ways that we can improve our catalog, improve access in our catalog, embellish records, perhaps um, also my coworkers and I are looking at ways to write better descriptions or more thoughtful descriptions. And we're using work, shared work between other institutions who are doing this too. Um, and with the acknowledgement that language is fluid mm -hmm. and we're going to be doing this, this is an ongoing mm -hmm. process. Um, we're not just going to probably, you know, change one term and feel like we're done. We're going right. to keep, keep our eyes on it and keep our awareness up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a lifetime of, of work, uh, going forward forever. And that's, that's good. That's a good thing. When you both think about, um, well, well, first let me ask this. 
how do people use, like, can I just walk in any day as a just person off the street and come into the Cherokee Garden Library and start looking up books and checking them out? How do people use the physical library and or the online library? What are the pragmatics of that? So we are a non-circulating library, which means you have to come here to see us to use the materials, but it is open to the public, uh, free of charge. Um, we are by appointment, um, Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and all the information related to how to make appointment is at atlantahistorycenter.com, and it's a really fun space to come mm -hmm. in to make an appointment, let us know what your research topic is, and we'll pull things in advance of your arrival, so when you get here, as we all say, you can hit the ground running instead of waiting for us to pull resources for you. And you can also make an appointment to just come in and browse the open shelves. If that's, you know, you just say you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, oh, on Friday, I have some time. I'm going to make an appointment because right now I am just obsessed with oak trees. I just want to know everything about every oak tree of all time. And I'm particularly obsessed with, say today, over cup oaks, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and I'm going to come in and I want Stacy to... Um, pull and help me locate on the shelf um, books about overcup oaks. And so it can be very simple, not that overcup oaks are simple. I'm not going <laughs> to lessen their value, um, all the way to very intense, complex mm -hmm. subject mm -hmm. matters. <laughs> um, so it, that's how people access us in person. Um, all our catalogs do live online at AtlantaHistoryCenter.com. And we are part of the Keenan Research Center. But on the Cherokee Garden Library page, you'll see down in the lower right corner of the web page um, a part that says search the collections. Mm -hmm. And if you click on that, it takes you to all our databases. And we have multiple databases, but each one has a description out beneath it so you will know what it is. So Terminus is all our books and periodicals, for example. Um, Finding Aids has all the visual arts materials we were talking about, like the postcards and things of that nature. And then we have digital assets that are through a database called Album. And that's where you would find gardens and cultural landscapes of Black America. You know, this brings to mind that gardens and libraries are so similar in the histories they hold, but they offer different access points to this information, right? I'm so glad you said that, Jennifer, because I think a lot about mm -hmm. it. But I think one thing about, I mean, this campus is incredible and 33 acres of incredible gardens and museums and so many other offerings. But one thing I really value about being here and the size of the collection and, and the gardens here is it's it's very it's very of a human yes. level. You yes. know? It it it's you see things here in the library, in the gardens, and you think, I could take a piece of that and I might be able to do that in my own mm -hmm. garden. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Instead of feeling sometimes maybe overwhelmed right. in a right. very large space. Right. Yeah. And not that I don't get inspired at huge gardens oh, yeah. because I oh, do. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes it's almost so large that I can't process it in the limited time that I have there. Right. And, and or you might not see yourself there. 
you, you might. I often do right. not see myself right. there being the the girl from Etowah, Tennessee. <laughs> as a matter of fact, so um, just saying. Um, <laughs> so that's nice. I mean, Abra and I talk a lot about this. You know, our backgrounds and how it um, helps us can think about um, the gardening and in all of us and just our own time in in the natural world in different spaces. Beautiful. It's neat to see the crossover. Sometimes patrons come in looking for something that you would think would have nothing to do with a garden library. And then one of us will suggest something. Well, why don't you try this garden club who did all this work on that in this particular area of the city and see what's documented in their records and boom, they just found another angle and, you know, answers to their research. So I think that's really neat to see that because we're not siloed. Yes. Yeah. uh, We get to see that interplay and that's very rewarding. Yeah. I think I've learned I always say I'm constantly in graduate school (laughs) because here with the researchers and community partners and everything we do, you can't, you wake up every day and yes, you're doing your work, um, but you're also just learning. Mm -hmm. And that's such a gift to just constantly be evolving and in an environment where other people value that and want to do that with you and beside you. And it's a really um, unique place to be, I think, and in, in a, in a gift. Hmm, the best part is the people that we work with, I think. Mm-hmm. We have an amazing, amazing team. Cherokee <laughs> and Keenan included. And Gazweta Gardens. I mean, they're, it's like family. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's so, a beautiful, it's a beautiful um, constellation of, of people. Um, all doing slightly different things, but that all come together to be a beautiful whole. Thank you both very much for being guests on the program today. And thank you for the work that you do in in growing our world beautifully there in Atlanta. Thank you so much for having us. It's really been inspirational. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Stacy Catron is the library director at the Cherokee Garden Library of the Keenan Research Center at the Atlanta History Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Jenny Oldfield is the library's senior technical librarian and supervisory archivist. The mission of the Atlanta History Center is to connect people, culture, and history in order to cultivate an understanding of our shared history. The Garden Library serves the mission of the History Center through the lens of gardens, gardening, and gardeners, and has five pillars to fulfill their mission. Collect, catalog, preserve, serve, and present. Join us again next week when we continue our celebration of Black History Month in conversation with Brent Leggs, Senior Vice President of the National Trust for Historic Preservation and Executive Director of the African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund, working to tell the full American story through the preservation of places of cultural significance to Black and Brown communities across the country. Listen in next week. That's right here.
Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communications support from Deanna Newpert and Matt Valiga. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.